Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Well, now, Abram, Abraham moved on from where he was. Why did he move? You know, why did he move? Well, I don't know, but I kind of thought about it. And I thought, well, maybe he, he definitely watched Sodom and Gomorrah go up in a puff of smoke. And we know that, you know, the Bits and pieces of these two cities are at the bottom of the Dead Sea. And maybe it was so traumatic that um, he just, you know, sometimes it can be so overwhelming that you think, i got to get out of here. I don't want to keep looking. I don't want to keep um, going off that my mind. I don't know. But he moved on. And I don't know what happened to him. You know, because he was doing so good. He was walking with the Lord, and he was so, his strength and his, his, his um, relationship with the Lord was so good. And then he moved into the region of the Negev, and that's, that's not new territory for him. He's been there before, and he lived between um, the Kadesh and sure, for a while he stayed in Gera, and it was there that Abraham said to his wife, or he said of his wife, she is my sister. And then Abimelech, king of Gera, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, <laughs> What did you think when you read that line? What did you think? I remember Joyce. I remember when we when we were in the in the um, previous chapter, you know. And I remember in in one of the our moments of silence, you just piped up and said, "Doesn't he do this again sometime?" <laughs> and I'll never forget it. But I said, "Well, we better take one at a time." But I think tonight, though, I mean, this week when we were studying us. What went through your mind? You couldn't help but say, how could, he, how could he not have learned from that? How could he not? I mean, you know, Pharaoh was pretty firm with him. I mean, and he even rebuked Abram. I mean, he even, he even kind of humiliated him and said, get out of here. Get, get, get. And, and I'm th thinking, you would, you would learn and you would forget that experience, and, and remember what a terrible testimony he was, and you think that would have haunted him. I mean, he had such an opportunity, and he he didn't he didn't say a thing. And and so, what did Pharaoh think of our little band of believers here? I'm sure didn't that go through his head? But apparently, for whatever reason, you know, he is. Definitely on the wrong path. My first thought was, you know, spiritually, we've been watching Abraham. And, and you know, sometimes he's just so right with the Lord. And, and he's able to do, you know, such impossible things. Well, they all can when they're walking with the Lord. But then, then he takes a dive. And then, 
And then he's back up. He goes to the altar. Remember, he builds an altar, and he goes there, and he, he um, you know, gets that relationship back. He claims God as his again, and then he confesses his sin, and then he surrenders again, and then, you know, why does that stick? And he does the same, the very same thing. So I thought to myself, you know, well, for one thing, I thought Sarah, I mean, she is 90. And he still wants her for his harem. I'm thinking, what about this lady? What is her secret? You know, at 90 years old, she's still a looker. But I did read this in, in some article. I did read this, and I just have to pass on it to you. I have no idea. This article said that it probably was that God rejuvenated her body because he was now going to, you know, he was going to, you know, produce, you know, a child in her. And so, you know, he had to rejuvenate her so that she could conceive and she could uh, carry and then deliver and then probably nurse, you know. So, you know, all the parts that were sagging before had to be kind of brought back up. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to be so so visual here, but but you know, I'm just trying to picture this, you know. And now she is just, you know, she probably truly is gorgeous. Anyway, you know, I think we women we do get finer with time, but but um. You know, she could, you know, there could be some truth with that revitalization. You know, I mean, we know how reproduction goes and that kind of thing. So, you know, anyway, she's taken just like that. She's taken. Abimelech takes her into his harem. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is married. So, I mean, we know God came right to the rescue right away. But I just, I mean, I'm not doing this because we only have 18 verses, and I'm, I'm trying to stall for time. I really, I really truly believe I'm taking this time for a good reason, and it's called habitual sin, or maybe this is a nicer way to put it, um, weaknesses. I mean, what causes us, like Abraham, to keep doing the same thing when we know it's not right, and yet we keep doing it? So I found this wonderful article, and it was just it perfectly because that was my question. I thought um, we all have that problem. You know, we we don't um, have to lay it out there tonight. But but um, I think the Lord wants us to think on this subject. What is it that we keep doing? You know, and it doesn't. Well, you know, sin is sin. You know, is it? Um, what is a habitual sin? I mean, it is. It could be a temper. You have a temper, and that just keeps coming up. You know, out of control.
control, anger. Maybe it is negativity. Maybe it's that critical spirit. Maybe it's um, uh, just you're just crappy. Maybe you're downcast. You just live like you have no hope. I mean, you you just your face doesn't show, but you know that Jesus did for you. And when people look at you, you carry that negativity. And I don't think the Lord wants that. And we try to, we think, okay, you know, maybe it's not a big deal. But it is. How about gossip? Sometimes gossip is one that we think isn't so serious, isn't so bad. Or we even say, I'm not gossiping. I just knew, I just wanted to tell you about it because I knew you would pray. I mean, that's such a crock. I mean, you know, we love to pass information. So maybe it's gossip. Maybe it is something like uh, addiction or something. But a lot of times, it's kind of it's like those secrets that, that we think no one knows or we think it's just not that big a deal. But it's standing in the way of your walk with the Lord. And it has to be addressed. I found this article. And it was written, it was a sermon. It was a sermon by Chuck Swindoll. And I was gravitated to it because it was just what I wanted. He had a sermon one night about, about that very subject, our weaknesses, that we seem to want to excuse and not think that the Lord cares that much. But he wants these sins dealt with. And so here's the list that he gave. And first of all, you have to identify it. I mean, you know, a lot of times we don't even, we've gotten so used to our habitual sins or our weaknesses. We've just kind of accepted it. And either because we think that it's just me or you think it's, well, it's just culture today. And we excuse these things. So maybe it's going to take you a minute to think about what it could be that, what is your weakness? What is that, that habit that you need to have broken? So identify it first, of course. Then, of course, the next big step is, and this is not easy, it sounds easy, but you have to confess it. You have to admit it. You have to fess up. And, you know, a lot of times when you've been doing it so long, you have a hard time thinking that it is that critical, but you have to confess it and see that it is something the Lord does want to deal with. Identify it, confess it, and then never think that just because we're getting older that um, we, we don't have the problems quite so severely anymore. Do you know if our habitual sins, even if they started when we were young, no matter how old you are, if it hasn't been dealt with, convicted of, dealt with through the blood of Christ, it is something 
that no matter how old you are, you will keep doing. It has to be addressed. So you have to keep yourself vulnerable is the word. You know, sometimes I think we don't, um, when we get older, we, we just don't see our need for the Lord as desperately. At least, you know, I mean, we have been in this so long and we're just used to our routine and our schedule of devotions. And, and we need to stay vulnerable to the fact that we absolutely need him so badly. And the song that came to my mind is that... Um, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. I think we should never lose that song, that intensity of that song. I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you. If I lessen that grip for any, any length of time, that one line that says, my defense, my defense is my righteousness. And that, was, that is only possible through him. So I need, I need that righteousness from him that will keep me from, from these weaknesses that seem to get in the way of my relationship with him. I don't want a spiritual life that keeps going like this. I mean, life takes me like that way enough. I mean, we can't help. We don't. We can't control what life is. I mean, some days are great, and sometimes we have a sinker, and boom, you know, we're up and down, up and down. But when it comes to our walk with the Lord, His intent is to keep us. Daddy, in good days and in bad days, that, that we are clinging to him and we believe our one defense is our righteousness. That he gives us, he, only he can make us right. So that's, that's the, the next one. And then after that comes, um, oh, stay away from temptation. Stay away from it. First um, Thessalonians 5.22 says, avoid, avoid every kind of evil. Avoid it. You know, and you think, wow, you know, it's something that it could affect the people you're with. It could be where you go, where you choose to go, um, what you're choosing to do. So, I mean, this could really affect you. It's, this is personal because, you know, sometimes you have to think, well, maybe the people that I'm with, they're taking me down. They're causing me to, to not even see that this is a habitual sin or it's a weakness. I'm just following them and they're, they're not good influence. I shouldn't be with people like that. Or you innocently go places and maybe you've been doing it for so long, you didn't even realize what it was doing or, or what you do. I think every now and then it's really good for us to just kind of take a look at all of our routine and, and everything and just make sure that what we're doing, who we're with, and where we go, it's all, you know, that it's all in the right. It's all in, it's all... Places that that are people that 
we know our key are helping us stay in the right walk with him. Because we've learned how important influence is. You know, we've seen that enough in these last weeks, how quickly influence can just affect you. Um, we have to also recognize that our habitual sins affect people around us. In fact, probably the people we love and are with the most. And the sad thing about that is that when we don't take it seriously enough, you know, they're watching and, and we don't know we could be passing that down to them, to their generation. I never really thought about that, you know. Our, our weaknesses, which we so often excuse and don't take so seriously, can really, truly affect people closest to us. Another one was, another step was we truly have to, you know, and we, we, we this is such a church line, but we have to live by faith. We have to live by faith, believing that even though we can't see our God, we got to believe like Abram. Abraham, remember, after 13 years of silence, God comes back and speaks to him and says, first of all, Abraham, I want you to know I am God Almighty. And we, if we would say that enough times, I think in a day, I think we would, we would have a little more respect or, or awe, you know, and we would think twice. So we have to live by faith, believing and trusting he is God Almighty. And then sometimes when we, like, we have to, like Joseph, you know, you have to run from it. You have to avoid it. Yeah, but you have to run from it. And the beautiful thing, I said this this morning, it, it just kind of came out. I thought, it's so true, you know, when Joseph left his coat, you know, you can see Potiphar's wife holding on to that coat, and he just left that coat, and he ran. I mean, he knew, I mean, he's a, he's a guy, he just put a bit of real, you know, a real notch in his belt. I mean, I'm sure she was gorgeous and, you know, so many things, but he knew, and you remember what he said? I can't do this to God. And he ran, and then I, I said this morning, and he's running with us. When he watches us run from temptation, I truly believe, because he never leaves us. I'm thinking, just a picture, he's running with us, believing and encouraging us to just keep going and don't look back. <laughs> also, we need to re remind ourselves that God disciplines. He really disciplines. In fact, in Hebrews 12, writer of Hebrews says, endure hardships. Yeah, hardships. You know, we, we don't like hardships, but this writer says, endure them because it is God's 
discipline. He knows. He, and it goes on and says, God is treating you as sons. This is parenting. Um, we don't have to be taught how to want what we want and um, gravitate to the flesh. And we don't have to be taught how to be bad. That's just ingrained in us. So, like any parent, you know, you hear the phrase, you know, you're not their best friend, you're their parent, and you have to teach them because they don't know how to be good. That's got to be taught. And he says, this is what parents do. You know, it's, you hear that phrase, you know, this is going to hurt me more than you, you know, and I used to, you know, like any other kid, they don't buy that. But when you become an adult or a parent, you do realize, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to make your children unhappy. You don't want um, a spanking to sting. You don't want to see them sitting in a corner in a timeout and, and crying. And I mean, that, parents don't like that. But you're willing to do it because you want them to learn that lesson and not go back to that same, that same behavior. It's out of love that... You know, we in the writer of Hebrews said that he disciplines those he loves, and and then the verse says, "For what son is not disciplined by his father?" I mean, this is what you do. It's the job of parents, and so he is our parent, and he will discipline, and he means business, and he is out to make sure that we do learn. And we don't go into a habit of these weaknesses and excuse them and keep doing them like they're nothing. So sometimes he has to grab them around the neck, grab us around the neck, just kind of stop us in our tracks. <laughs> I know there's many times the Lord's, I can almost hear him. I've learned it so much that I can almost hear him when he says, I'm sorry to have to do this to you. You know, I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but I am not content to let you stay here. I need to grow you more. I need to mature you more. You need to learn this lesson. I cannot let you stay doing this habit. And this one really, too, was a good one. We must recognize God's graciousness. And he is so gracious. But, but yet, in the same frame here, that we, we remember how gracious. He, he gives us what we, what we don't deserve. But yet, Paul says in Romans 6, don't ever say, well, you know, I can sin because I know that tonight when I lay in bed, I can say, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. And, and he, his grace, he'll forgive me. And then tomorrow's another day and you go back doing it and Paul addressed that. So he says, can you keep on sinning? Sinning because grace abounds. If that's in your head, then Paul uses exclamation points. Of course not. You don't do that to someone you love. So 
in what do we call it today, cheap grace, you know. But we, when we know he's gracious, we also have to know that he is just, and he does discipline, and he does, he does do what he has to do sometime because he loves us. We, we can't just be flippant and say, well, you know, he's grace. He's so filled with grace for us that he lavishes us with grace. But, but um, you know, he loves us unconditionally and he takes me just as I am. And we can say all that. But I tell you, we've got a God that wants to mold us and make us after his will. And he'll do what he has to do. And sometimes it's very uncomfortable. This one was so meaningful to me. We will read in a minute how God called Elijah a prophet. See, God, God created Abraham. He knew exactly what he was going to do with him. He knew that Abraham was going to have the covenant promise. He was going to be the start of the nation that would bring forth the Messiah. He's on a plan but the same thing, he's got you and I on a plan, too. He created us with a purpose in mind. So what, what would help us break these habits of habitual sin or weaknesses? What would help us? We wear his name. We, we, we do. We're very, very much aware of that and, and tell people, oh, yes, I'm Christian. And yet... You know, it's so it's so easy to then not follow through with that. It's so easy to say, but we have been called by God. We have we're in a plan that He has for you and I. He, we're in the middle of His plan. He wants to fulfill this plan in us. And I keep going back to this song, but. The song said, we have a new identity because of what he's done. I mean, that should help. We're out, we're, it's like what Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that's living. I, I, the old is gone, and the new has come. I have a new identity. Remember that song that says, um, he changed my name from too far gone to saved by grace. So we have a new identity. We have a calling by I am God Almighty. These were powerful steps, I thought, that, would, that if we let them come to our mind, it should correct and change that old habit into a new habit. And even though we call them weaknesses that we fall into, there's still no excuse because Paul said, in my weakness, his strength is perfect. And that's why he also wrote that he can do immeasurably more than we could ever do, and he does it through the power that he has given us so that's why you can call it weakness if you want, but it still doesn't hold up because Scripture is very clear about the fact that 
our power is, is, is weakness, but his power in us overcomes that weakness, and we can do it. New calling, new identity. Let the old be old and let the new rise up. Change our habits. And then be really careful of fear. You know, I don't, I've never counted, but I've read this many times that there are 365 times in scripture that it says, do not fear. See, this, is, this was Abraham's weakness. He, this is what took him for a dive. He all of a sudden got afraid again. He was fearful. And fear is like an open door that causes us to sin. When we're fearful, we're not even thinking straight because his fear then led right him to a lie. So be careful with when we fear, when he tells us clearly, do not fear. And how can you not fear in sometimes our world or our country or our, even our home situation? How do you not fear? Again, we go back to the one who promises. But see, you don't hear in this story other than with Abimelech. I mean, he, he hears from the Lord and he addresses the Lord and talks to him. But where's Abraham? He's not talking to him. He leaves him out again. So, Another one was we have to stop blaming other people. <laughs> You know, and I did it this week when I saw that air. The first thing I did was, oh, I'm sure it was Kay's fault. I mean, the first, you know, she's a wonderful. I mean, she makes no mistakes. So, but yet I was sure it wasn't me. I sure didn't do that. How quick I went there instead. But you know, he wants us to, like I said before, confess it, just admit it. Don't blame anybody. Let him then come in and cleanse and, and wipe it under the blood. And he remembers our sin no more. But then he expects us then to learn from that. Fact no one was, and I thought this was so smart, because really sometimes when we are when we're in our weaknesses, when we're in our, our lowest point, and we're when we just without thinking we're we're fearful and then we follow into a sin and, and or we have some pretty bad habits that we have just talked ourselves into thinking it's not that terrible. How do you get out of that? And the final one that, that Swindoll said was step thinking about it. Stop thinking about you. Why don't you start why don't you start serving someone else? You can't possibly give of yourself for someone else and think and wallow in your own self. It's impossible. That's wise counsel. Just stop thinking about yourself and what you want and what what you know, your, what you, what you got your plans, and just stop and say, Lord, 
what can I do for you for someone else? It's a win-win. It gets your mind off you and what you're tempted to do, and instead you are helping someone else. I thought it was so good, too. Oh, I know that took some time, but you know, when you have a chapter like this, and we all did it, we, every one of us did it when we read it, like, how could he? <laughs> how can we keep doing that again and again? So, now, um, so God came to Bimelech. That had to be quite a dream. I mean, he is laying there sleeping, and the voice of God comes. And I'm thinking, boy, for a pagan king, he identified him. I mean, when God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. I mean, I'm sure that shook him to, right to his toes. That was quite a voice. And then now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. I mean, I mean, I think he had a real defense there. How am I supposed to know? You know, this is the way we operate. There's a beautiful woman. I add her to my collection. That's what we do. So it's not that he was he was right, right, but yeah, he he just admitted. He says, "How am I supposed?" To? He said. She was his sister. She said, he's my brother. So, so it was quite a case. And even God said to him in the dream, yes, I know. I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. Before you think a bit like that, you're such a good guy and so strong and so pure. Let me tell you, I'm the one that stepped in. I'm the one that kept you from touching her, from sinning against me by touching her. I mean, God is saying, like he did the last time with, with Pharaoh and with Abram and Sarah, I mean, he, he said, he's got this plan going. And if she, if, if her womb had been defiled, I mean, the, the thing is shut. And so here again, he comes to the rescue. Again, he comes to the rescue, and he steps in and says, I kept you from sinning against me, but I kept you from touching her. Otherwise, you, you would have done it. And again, the plan would have, been, would have been shot. Now, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, he will pray for you, and you will live. I mean, because he he had to, he had to have you know had some respect for this voice in God, and and he called him Lord. So you know he said, but then the verse goes, but if you do not return her, you. You may be sure, you can be sure, I get no questions, no doubts, no debate, this is how it works. Return her, or you will die, and all of yours will die too. 
pretty, pretty direct, pretty simple to understand. So early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he had told them all that he had, all that what had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in, and this is this is what's so hard to comprehend: the, the pagan Abimelech said to the godly Abraham, "What have you done to us?" How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? Two very good questions. Then he makes this statement. You have done things to me that should not be done. What does that mean? You have done things to me that should not be done. I don't know. You know, I don't know for sure, but I couldn't help but think, could Abimelech meant, that really disappoints me, because I've known you, Abraham, you, when, you, when you came, you know, you came with all your wealth and your possessions, and you moved into our territory, and, you know, he, he probably walked with authority, and, and, you know, from what it looked like, he probably carried a big stick, and, and they were impressed by him, and, and, you know, I'm sure Abraham, you know, worshiped the God Almighty, and that was what they did, and somehow Abimelech's I didn't expect that kind of behavior from you. You claim one thing and this is what you do? I sometimes wonder, you know, how many times we have missed the mark by having someone who is watching us and we don't even realize it, but they might say, wow, I didn't expect that kind of behavior from them. And they wear that Christian label pretty loud and yet... You know, it was like, you know, that, that whole MetLife thing, you know, I'm sitting around the table with those, you know, presidents and that, and then the ones that you're so different than the, than the ones that we usually have. And then, and I, I said, I belong to Jesus. And I knew that that could, you know, I knew it could ruin the whole getting caboodle, but it didn't. He said, this is what he said, and I'll never forget it. He says, we knew you would say that. And I'm thinking to myself, wonder if I was embarrassed, or wonder if I feared what they were going to do or say, or what, you know, wonder if I was consumed more about me and the results of my answer to their questions they would have been, I think, totally disappointed if I hadn't said the truth. That's why he said, we knew you were going to say that. See, people, people expect, when you wear his name around, they're expecting a different kind of behavior, a different kind of walk, a different kind of talk. They're just expecting that. And I think Abimelech was disappointed and then he said, or asked, what was your reason for doing this? King James put it this way. What, what was in your view when you did this? And either one I really like. Like, what were you thinking 
What were you looking at? What was your reason? That was a great question. Now, you know, I always talk about white space. You know, this is just my deal. But I think, you know, when, when um, Abimelech asks Abraham and addresses this, why? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? What was in your view? I want you to explain it to me. Now, in that, between verse 10 and 11, there's some time there. There's, there's time right there that Abraham's got to decide, am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it my way? In God's way, I mean, I just can't understand why when Abimelech really cornered him and really said, you know, I'm disappointed in how you acted, I just thought Abraham would say, oh, I really made a mistake. I made this same mistake before, and I should have learned. I should have trusted God Almighty, and I really embarrassed her and me and our company and God, and I am so sorry. That's what he should have said when he was confronted. But look what he says. Look at in his split second timing, instead of fessing up and admitting that he made a horrendous mistake, he replied, Look at, I said to myself, There it is. There's, there it is. You know, because we're, I, he didn't go, Lord, I, I've tried to figure this out myself. I, said to myself, I'm sure that there are reasons why I did it. Now, let me think of some. Um, well, here's a good one. There's, there's no fear of God in this place. He was right, but I'm thinking to myself, and there's no fear of God in you either. So he, he uses the excuse, there's no fear of God in this place, so I can't even give him a half a point for caring about his wife. He didn't do it with Pharaoh, and he doesn't do it here. It's all about him. He is scared silly for himself. They will kill me. They will kill me because of my wife. I mean... Poor Sarah, I'm thinking to myself, can he just say, oh, and I just cherish my wife so much and I, I just didn't want to have her hurt. And he says nothing about that. He doesn't go to the Lord. He doesn't fess up for himself. He doesn't care about her. All he says, well, you know, there's no fear of God here, so they would just get rid of me. They'd kill me. Now, I think it gets worse. Besides, she really is my sister. And then he tries to explain it. You know, oh, we got the same dad, but not the same mom. I mean, he's just trying to, you know, use all these words to try to say, ah, half a truth is a lie. He is still lying, and he's using that as an excuse for his behavior. And like I said, it gets worse. Verse 13, and when God had made 
And, the, and when God had made me wander from my father's household, I stopped there. I thought, he's blaming God. He's probably thinking, you know, God made me out. We were so comfortable in Ur, and we had a real nice, and, and you know, we, we just liked our life there. And then right in the middle of all of our comfort and happiness, all of a sudden God calls us out, makes us wander. His fault. I'd have never done this if we would have stayed put. But then it's still, he keeps going. He just doesn't know when to stop. This is it. You open that fear door, out comes every kind of lie and excuse imaginable. What an example for us. You almost want to say, just shut up, Abraham. You're just digging the hole deeper and deeper because this one really went to the core of me God had me wander from my father's household. I said to her, how cold, I said to her, this is how you can show you love me. <sighs> this will prove you love me if you just tell them that I'm your brother. That's low, Abraham. That is really low. There is no way sinning for someone else is because they love you or you love them. I mean, that doesn't, doesn't work. Sin and love do not go hand in hand. He was manipulating her. And don't you remember some of us girls, and sorry guys, but our moms kind of warned you about uh, you guys. Um, you know, at least my mom did. She would say to me, oh, don't always believe what they say. Because sometimes they say things that you want here to get you to do what they want you to do. <laughs> That's what came to my mind when I read this. I thought, you know, and it's true, you know. He's trying to manipulate her to get what he wants. Just tell him that I'm your brother. That'll show how much you love me. You're willing to lie for me. Sad. He has really talked about when you walk away from the Lord and you think for yourself and you're not, I need you, oh, I need you every hour, I need you. My one defense, I mean, he's not singing that song at all. Then a bit Malak brought sheep and cattle and bale and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you want. I think somehow Abimelech, he, he really heard the voice of God. And it really shook him, I think. And now, he, okay, here's your wife and here's some more presents, too. Now, I don't want trouble. And then he says to Sarah, oh, I want you to know that I am giving to your brother. I think that was sarcastic. I think, I think he probably said it. And I'm giving to your brother. You know, kind of like, um, 
not husband, nothing. I think he threw that in there. Again, what a bad testimony he's been, Abraham's been. If Black is shouting out, you know, just shouting into some sarcasm there, you know, I'm even giving him a thousand pieces of silver, because Sarah, I don't want you to think it was your fault, and you are not to blame, and you are vindicated, and and um, I just wanna, I just want everything to be okay, you know, we're all good, right? <laughs> This is where that question nine, I, I, I just couldn't have made a mistake on a worse question because I wanted you to see, you know, I wanted you to compare Genesis 20, not Genesis 21, we didn't even do that yet. So, but 14, Genesis, compare Genesis, Genesis 14 with Genesis 20. Now, let me just go over. In Genesis 14, what happened there? Oh, Lot was taken. Remember, in his, all his possessions, and he was taken and in this war of five and four kings. And, and, and Abraham, he came up with this plan. And, and um, 318 men divided in half, went at night, you know, secret, surprise, and... They won. They won the war, and and a lot was rescued and all his possessions. And and the king of Sodom comes to Abraham and says, "Wow, that was really something. You know, I owe you big. And so, how about you taking all the possessions, and I'll take the people. And you know, he's trying to, you know, you you are you can have that. You deserve it. Thank you. Thank you. And remember what." Abraham said, with no question, without any hesitation, he said, not a chance. I'm not taking one thing from you. You will have a chance to say, oh, you know, I helped Abraham get to be who he is. Abraham says, I'm not taking a thing. Now look now, compare now with Genesis 20. See, in Genesis 14, Abraham was walking with the Lord. Look what he was able to do. Fear was not in the, in the equation in, in chapter 14. I mean, you got those nine kings battling each other, and he comes with 318 men. He goes in the strength of the Lord God. And look what he's able to do. Now, he is so far down. He is sunk so low. He, he takes it. Oh, thank you. You know, he just takes it out. There's not one piece of word that says that he did not take it. Verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God. First time, first time in this chapter. My first thought was a little late. And I wanted to stay there because I felt he deserved my anger and my, you know, <laughs> you are so in the wrong, Abraham, and you are so off the track. And, and then I thought, no, I can't, I, we can't end this chapter like that. We can't put the emphasis on Abraham and his failures. We have to see that despite who we are, God does not give up on us. Even after what 
he did, and after, you know, the, the, and really not even coming clean yet, he just praised to God, and, and believe me, we have just begun to see how God's people just don't seem to get it together. There's so much of highs and lows, and then back high, and then low, and God comes to the rescue. But there's discipline, there's, there's consequences, but they cannot keep their trust and their belief in God as on the even keel and believe that what he promises he'll do. It's so easy to fall into our doubts. But the Lord, um, who had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household, he opened it. He opened it all, them all again. That's so good. But now, I had one more question that I asked you, and I didn't make a mistake in this one. And the question that I had you um, look at was, what should every Christian be reminded of in this chapter? I mean, only 18 verses. I think it was a crummy chapter. And yet, it's in scripture, so, you know, what do we want to remember when our Bibles fall open to Genesis 20? Maybe years from now. And, we, oh yeah, that's when he blew it again, that's when he didn't go with the Lord, he thought to himself, and you know, all these things. But what do you, what, what do you want? Well, I'm sure many of you have some great answers. What's it in there for? What does every Christian need to be reminded of when you read about someone who's got a godly relationship and then falters? And, and what about the, the habitual sins and the weaknesses? And I'm just going to tell you what I, I thought was so, so right there visible is from what I've learned. I mean, I have, I've been saved for many years and it's changed my life, but what I'm learning is Galatians 5, about there's such a difference between what comes out of me when, when I'm sitting on the throne of my life, when I have pushed the Lord off and I am calling the shots and the fruit. And, and in John 15, I had you go to that, John 15, what did Jesus say in that chapter? I am the vine, you are the branch, and if you stay clinging to me, you will produce much fruit. And we all know the fruit he's talking about. But if you have, if you have disconnected from him, then the only thing you and I can do is produce fruit from, from, from us, fruit, fruit from self. We're always going to be producing fruit. Jesus made it so clear. You stay connected to me. You will produce the fruit of my spirit. And those are the characteristics of Jesus himself. And you can look like him and act like him and be like him. And you won't have these habitual sins. And you, you, will, have, you will change habits. And There's such a difference between the fruit of self and the fruit of the spirit. I can take the same nine words 
and put them in a column of fruit itself. Because the world thinks they know what love is. They think they know what joy is. They think they know what peace is. They think they, they all nine of them. But Galatians 5 makes it very clear that this, the fruit of the Spirit is, is something that you and I could never produce ourselves. Those nine words could never come out of us except that at Calvary we were given his Spirit. And then we now, for listening to him, the old is gone and new has come. You're starting to hear a whole new voice and a whole new behavior, a whole new purpose for living. And you start learning what love really is. And it has nothing to do with conditions. Oh, the world thinks they have love, but they say it this way. I will love you. Oh, sure I will. If you, if you do this, or I'll love you, but... I expect this in return. They've got conditions on it. And I'm telling you, the kind of love the Spirit can produce in you and I, and what a different world it would be if just even Christians would just live out the fruit of the Spirit. Is that that kind of love? No strings attached. It's grace-filled. It's real kind of love, the kind of love that when Jesus, you know, while we were yet sinners... It's like whatever somebody says or does, you just love them anyway. You just plain love them anyway. And, and they're in perfect order. Those nine are in perfect order. And you can't take them out of order because you need love, which is the basis of it all. And then when you understand unconditional love, then you start to understand what Jesus meant in John 15 when he says, when you know me, your joy is complete. Jesus says, I am joy. He is love. He is joy. That means that even when you're not happy, even in your worst of times, in your lowest of times, your saddest times, you can still have joy because joy is Jesus and none of those things or none of those terrible people could take away what you've been given through Christ. Our joy, our salvation is solid. And then the kind of peace he can produce, you know, the kind of peace in a chaotic world, in, in war-torn world, in a chaotic circumstance, and you feel you want to, you know, you're just so unrest, and, you know, you're frantic, and you're worried, and you're panicked, and, and he's trying to whisper in your ear, peace I leave with you, and peace I give you. Not the kind of peace the world tries to tell you, but... I have overcome. You come to me. You know that I do what I say. The promises I have made to you, you can hold on to. And when everything is going nuts around you, you are secure in who I am. I am God Almighty. Your God. What a peace that can come over you. Why would Paul say, worry about nothing, pray about everything, and then that connection, that prayer connection, you will, you will have the peace of God will, that transcends all man's understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But you have to choose. Instead of worry, you have to, 
you have to go to him. And then that next one goes to patience. You've got to wait on him, not yourself, not other people. You wait on the Lord. Can say that. Wait on the Lord. Fine. That's where their strength is renewed. And not only you wait on the Lord for his guidance and, and what he's promised, but you also wait on his timing because we've learned that. I mean, he made them wait 25 years. He doesn't say he's going to do it in 20 minutes. But we know his timing is perfect. But that patience, the Spirit wants to produce that kind of patience in us. And then Kindness, and that, that one sometimes people just don't realize what a big one that is. See, everyone builds on the other one. You need love, joy, peace, patience to get to kindness because kindness is not just being nice. Kindness is being selfless instead of selfish. You put yourself aside, and only the spirit can do that in you because that's not normal for humans. And goodness, the Holy Spirit wants to produce goodness in us. Because goodness, from the Lord's point of view, is you can know that it might not look good at the time, but I turn all things out for good because I know what you need. And it might, may, it might hurt for a while, but it's going to turn you for good because it's going to turn you closer to me and you're going to know me better. So I say it's good. That's the way God handles good. Paul says, I can know that. I can know that in all things he's working for my good because he has a purpose, and that is to turn me into the likeness of his son. And he's got, he's got some roughing up to do. He's got, some, he's got a lot of work to do if he's turning you and me into the likeness of Christ. And it might not look good at the time, but if it makes us look a little bit more like Jesus in our walk and in our talk, it's good. And faithfulness, that's a big word too, faithfulness. He is so faithful, and we sing about it, we believe he's faithful, but he expects us, and the Holy Spirit will help us to be faithful to him, and that means just plain believe. He has a simple program. He started it in Genesis, and he says, you just listen to me, you just, you just obey me, you do what I say, I've set the terms, I've, made, I've set the standards, this is what I expect, and we won't have trouble. But unfortunately, when self was born in Genesis 3, it became a fight. Self against the Spirit of God. But faith, the Spirit wants so much to produce in us that simple belief and trust. And then gentleness, number eight. Why would gentleness have to be way down toward the bottom? Why would we need all seven to get us to gentleness? Because gentleness is, you know, that by old man or, you know, just so gentle. And Oh, no, gentleness is a silent strength. You are empowered. His spirit, by the time you have number eight, you are empowered. You don't have to fight. To me, I have loved this particular fruit. And by the way, it's called fruit of the spirit. There's not fruit. So you can't say, well, I got love today, but no patience. No, if you don't have one, you don't have any of them. 
But when you get to gentleness, you are so confident, not of yourself, but of him. And I mean, when people want to debate you and they want to argue and they want to fight, I mean, I get that all the time. And I just love to take this fruit of gentleness and just listen. And then finally, when I have a chance to talk, then I say, but the Bible says, God says. And then you have to take it with him. So, But I mean, it's just so simple. You've got that silent strength of knowing that God, this is truth. And when you're listening to his spirit, he will fill you with what you have learned. And you can, with confidence, not have to fight back. Now, in my own natural sense, you know, and I do this a lot, you know, I love, I always do that because I want to defend, I want to box back. That's natural me. But oh my, just loving that fruit of gentleness. Because he says it. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. And that is a confidence that I think that's so wonderful to live with. And then finally, self-control. And that is last because it is so important, but so hard. Because self-control means controlling self. I know that sounds silly, but it's that simple. Self-control means you are controlling self, and self needs to be so desperately controlled. It's opposite of what the Lord has for us. So what, what did this chapter 20, this yucky chapter 20, oh, I learned so much about habitual sin and weaknesses, and I have no excuse, and I've learned, and I learned that there's such a difference when the fruit of self is coming out, what it looks like. It is ugly. It is sinful. But the fruit of his spirit is gorgeous, and it's life-changing, and it is a powerful testimony for our God Almighty who loved us enough to save us. Yeah, oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us worship him. Oh, yes, he is worthy. So at this time of year, too, we just realize more and more, if we would just say that over and over and kind of go over this over and over, I think we would really see a change in our lives. Heavenly Father, you have such a way of bringing these stories right, right down to our level and make us see ourselves. None of us, none of us here tonight want to admit that we have a, a sin that we just do over and over. And yet, Lord, you know, and we really do know. So, Father, it's because you love us. You don't want us to be plagued down with that. You want us to be freed from that. So nothing is standing in the way of our relationship, our walk with you. We've had enough evidence. We've had so much proof of what it looks like when we are on the right path with you and we're listening to your spirit or when we choose to look to ourselves, when we choose to say, well, I said to myself, and somehow we push you out. 
Lord, you have been so gracious, but yet you are firm and you discipline, and we know it's because you love us. And you are just. So, Lord, may we just take this lesson and really take it to our heart. May it change us. May it really have done something to us. And we will only give you the glory because only you can do that in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.